Hello everybody and welcome to the 52nd episode of the Alien vs Predator Galaxy podcast. This is your usual host, Aaron Percival, or as I go by online, Corporal Hicks. And I'm joined today by two special guests, Dane Hallett. Hey mate. And Matt Hatton. Hey hey. And these are two guys whose work you'll probably seen a lot of on social media and on the forums. And they are... Well, they have nebulous sort of responsibilities on the film, so it's hard to sort of nail down a title, but I've settled on illustrators. Does that sound about right? That'll do us. <laughs> <laughs> so if, if you don't if you don't recognise the names, these are the guys are, that are responsible for the kick-ass David illustrations that were hung up in, um, in, in the Necropolis sets. Also, they did other work. It's not just that, but that's what they're... Uh, it's what the spotlight's shining on at the minute, isn't it, in terms of post-release stuff and what yeah, you guys right. did. Yep. So before we do crack on and start nerding out, though, I did just want to thank you both for taking the time to come and chat with me and answer some of my questions. And I was also hoping that before we got into Alien, you could just give us a little background on yourselves, you know, who you are, what you do, and the why and how you got into the industry. So I think... um, Matt, you want to go for it? <laughs> okay. I started out uh, in advertising, graphic design, that sort of thing, moved into freelance illustration, and I'd done comics and that sort of thing. And uh, basically I got a call from Alex Press one day asking, because he'd seen some comics, to, to say, do you want to come and do storyboards? And, you know, that was great because I, I was just about to pull my finger out and get into film and television and that sort of thing. Yeah, and, and so started out in, in storyboards and then expanded into concept art and all sorts of different uh, um, departments. And uh, I do live action and animation and stuff. So, yeah. Cool. Dean? Uh, yeah, man, um, I, I'd i always wanted to do movies as a kid as well. Um, just, you know, Matt and I are very passionate about films overall, but I started off working in the prop department, making props and in the mold shop. Um, molding stuff and replicating it and I, I also sort of I did a lot of um, special effects as well I love working with the special effects guys and then um, moved into doing concept art I'd always been pretty okay at drawing and some people I think it was on Fury Road people started to take notice and then um, I, ever since then I've primarily been a concept artist so, so that's quite recent then I guess so yeah I, yeah what's that 2009 when I first started on Mad Max and then uh, one of the art directors followed on to another job, Paradise Lost, with Alex Porus, which is where I met Matt. So, yeah. Cool. Um, so the Alien films tend to leave quite an impact on, on fans, you know, especially those such as yourselves who are quite creatively inclined. That's something we always love to hear from, I guess, on the show is about the first time they saw any of the films, any of the Alien films. Do you... Do you remember the first time you saw any of the films? And uh, which would you say was your favourite? My first time was, um, I watched, uh, I think I was eight years old and my mum wouldn't let me watch Gremlins. And uh, I, I begged and hounded and, you know, I wouldn't let up until I could finally watch it. And after Gremlins, I was like, man, this is this is a pussy movie, man. I could do this any day of the week. And when I saw Alien was going to be on TV... I thought it was going to be the same kind of deal with these zany creatures running around. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, no, man, it, ever since then, like, it absolutely paralytically made me afraid at that age. And then I guess it started a, a long, long and loving relationship ever since then. I don't think I was 
much older than that when I first saw it. My uncle got it on on VHS and stuff, and uh, yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. I, I, I guess my parents didn't realise I wasn't allowed to watch it because he was showing it to us, <laughs> you know. And, and yeah, the, there was freaky stuff and everything, but my the the biggest thing I remember, like aside from how completely different it looked with all the Giga stuff and everything. And, you know, I've been obsessed by Giga ever since, like Dane has too. But uh, the, the one big thing for me was, okay, the chestburster scene, with, with, oh, my God, that that was so full on and everything. But my lasting impression was that it was hilarious and I, I, I just laughed out loud because, you, you know, the, there's the bit where it bursts out and everything and everybody's hor- horrified. But then there's that bit where it's not really articulated and it's it's on that sort of uh, like mechanical track or whatever, and it just goes like that, and it looked hilarious to me, and I just <laughs> was just laughing and stuff. So everybody else was sort of you know devastated, but I, I thought it was the funniest sort of Muppet thing ever. But um, not yeah. a typical reaction. <laughs> yeah. Well, I I guess not. But all that other stuff, you know, I, I was. I was just so completely knocked out by all the stuff like the the way the spaceship looked and and and, and you know the derelict and all of that sort of stuff and what would you say is your favorite film of the series uh, it's so hard because that that's another one of my big movie memories is going to see aliens on the big screen and everything and i i just remember i couldn't believe how long the the, the climax went for it just seemed to to go and go and go it's just incredible but I think overall, I would say the first one, because the first one, you know, it, it, it has it has the action, it has the sci-fi and all of that sort of thing, but it also has the sexuality that at the time, you know, nothing was like that and all the metaphor and everything, which I didn't get at first being a kid and everything, but later on it all sort of sinks in or all, all, all of, you know, and the allegorical stuff and everything. So, yeah, I, I think it's still the first one for me. Okay. Dane, what about you? Yeah, man, I, I have to admit that the first one is probably my favourite. But, um, you know, Aliens, uh, it's so hard to choose. Um, I also, I do really like the third one as well. And um, yeah. it's, like, I know a lot of people aren't on board with it. And I understand it's, it's definitely got its flaws. But there's, uh, it just comes down to taste. And there's such a dourness about it that I, I find irresistible. It's so gritty and uh, merciless that I absolutely love it. So, uh, like Alien is probably my favorite, but the one that I watch the most is Alien Three. Um, you know, much of my wife's chagrin; she's sick of it. So, yeah. <laughs> but luckily for Dane, we we can we we can talk in in shorthand Alien Three shorthand, and and you know, because there are so many quotable lines from it and stuff. Mm. <laughs> right, we so. insult each other in Alien Three lines. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was always a fan of Dylan's speech. Yeah, oh whole, yeah, yeah, yeah. That that yeah, was yeah. It was my email signature for ages. That was. Oh, nice. <laughs> right, right. We'll we'll we'll, we'll call uh, we'll call Dane uh, eighty five from here on in. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, uh, th- this next one is. <laughs> Sorry, I'm still laughing from that. Um, is is a bit of a. <laughs> It's a bit of a Although you're Aaron, thing. aren't you? Uh, I, I go by Aaron. Actually. Aaron. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, the, that's the way the parents named it. Spelt it Aaron, but called me Aaron. But as long as right. as long as it sounds vaguely like it, I'll, I'll reply. I don't I don't give a shit. I'm not used to it. <laughs> don't call you late for dinner. I get it. 
yeah. So the next next one's a bit of a two part thing. The Covenant is essentially Prometheus two, while being mm-hmm. a little bit more of an Alien Zero. Uh, I was wondering what you both thought of Prometheus, and would you have been excited as excited to work on the film had it remained more of a pre uh, Prometheus film without the aliens? Um, I, I would have like I. <sighs> You know, Prometheus was a bit of a heartbreaker because I'm such a I'm so into the mythology of Alien, and I mean, it it, it does it. I mean, look, it's all there. All the patience of Alien is there. All of the, um, it's it's kind of got so many of the the beats, but there just wasn't enough there wasn't enough character to love, and it felt that it was more interested in being ambiguous than it was about being immediately uh, thrilling, I suppose. And so, look, I. You know, I, I wasn't a massive fan. I was pretty disappointed by it. And as for Covenant being a follow-up, I mean, I liked it better than Prometheus. And I was excited regardless because Ridley Scott was on it and because it was an alien film and I'd only ever just wanted to, in my life, I could only have ever dreamt that I would have been able to play some kind of a role in the alien world. And um, so, yeah, no, I would have been excited either way, man. <laughs> i got to be honest. What about you, Matt? I'm pretty similar. Uh, yeah, the, the the whole thing. I, I love ambiguity, but I didn't feel like uh, Prometheus to me. It, it wasn't that there they they had all these this deep backstory and that and that sort of thing that we only skimmed the surface off of. It, it was more like, no, nah, we'll we'll just not explain the stuff and and we'll be mysterious about it, which isn't the same thing at all. Mm. Uh, yeah, you know, uh, uh, and and. Yeah, it looked amazing, and I, I, I do think the character of David is great and, and you, you know, is sort of worthy of being up there with the other films and that sort of stuff. But, yeah, look, for me, there were it wasn't just an overall meh thing. I, I loved certain things. I hated other things. And um, like Jane, I, I felt that this one w- w- was better than Prometheus. But uh, e- even there, and, and, and I don't know, it starts to get foggy for me because you – split yourself into two pieces where it's the the as objective as you can be fan and then there's the you having worked on it Mm. and known certain certain story things that could have been and that i don't know that you feel were better that that didn't happen in the end and and that sort of stuff like things like everybody's uh down on the the whole um orem chestburster like leaning over the egg and that and that sort of thing uh where, whereas we saw a draft where that that was handled in in my subjective opinion much better because it, it used the characters and the audience and, and all of that to build suspense and you could act because it, you know okay have, have a look this is great but he says look I'll, I'll, it's fine i'll show you and he leans over the egg uh and he knows because he's David and we know because we're the audience and we've seen alien movies before that it's because he's not alive and everything and nothing will happen. But Oram doesn't know that. So it builds suspense and everything. And then he, there's a reason for him to think, Oh, it's okay to lean over the egg and then he gets got. So there's good payoff for multiple reasons. And then, you know, in, in the final film, losing that, I, I thought it was one of those things where you're like, oh, man, but you, you already had it sort of down, you know? So funny funny thing, and you'll, you'll always have your own things that you latch on to that you felt would have been great and that sort of stuff. So it's it's a strange sort of uh, 
double double sided thing. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Um, getting onto Covenant more specifically, then, how did you both become involved with the film's production? And then a bit more specifically, how did you become the ones responsible for David's illustrations? We've worked with the art director before. And so when, um, well, for me at least, when I heard it was coming to town, I've told the story a few times so everyone could just tune out if they've heard it already. But um, I, when, <laughs> so I, can when tune I knew, out then. Yeah, go for your life. Um, <laughs> when, when I knew it was coming, I wrote an email to the art director, Ian Gracie, and I just said, this is a supervising art director. And I said, uh, look, I know, like, I didn't want to bug him with any questions. I said, I'm not going to annoy you with any questions. I just want you to know that no one, could uh, draw those monsters better than I could. And uh, that's not an ego thing, by the way. That's just because I was trying to get the job. And uh, <laughs> and then the um, the other thing was I said, and you'll never meet anyone who loves Alien as much as me. And I just left it at that. And so um, I got a, then I had an interview with a designer who was pretty keen to get me involved. But uh, I think it kind of – it took a little while um, for the job to get going. And then by the time – it was up and running. There was all this talk of these pencil drawings, which when I heard about them, I, I said, and I, I think that they'd already contacted Matt, but I said, listen, you must contact Matt. Like he will love this. And so that's a, that's at least how um, I got involved. And then when I saw that Matt was in there as well, because we were talking to each other before we got on it. But when I saw that Matt was in there the same day I was, I was like, sweet, let's do this. <laughs> so. Yeah, we, we'd worked together on, on a few other movies before and we'd get on great. And so it, it was that that part of it, it really was a dream job in that way because, you know, to be on an alien film for Ridley Scott and both loving it the way we do. And yeah, it was great. So why were you so keen to do these illustrations? Um, personally, I mean, was that sort of style something you were previously interested in? Um, for me, definitely not. Um <laughs> Because I, I'd never used a pen and quill before, and so I was a little nervous. So I, you know, that's why there's so many sort of iterations of Geiger artwork out there that I had done at least because I, I, I wanted to get the style down. And I tried using pen and quill before. I tried it once before. I thought it was a joke. I couldn't understand how anyone could use it because you know it runs out of ink. Like it just pissed me off. So I'd never done it. And so I was kind of a little afraid of it, but um, when when that when that's what the job was, it didn't matter because I just had to dive headlong into it. Because I don't know, it's just how I how I approach the work really. If if that's what it if that's what it has to be, then that's what it has to be. So I'll jump on it, and uh, I I just I did heaps of those line drawings just to get ready, and I kind of fluked it into the job, I guess. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> If I remember rightly, you've both sort of spoken about and shared um, audition, in quotation marks, illustrations, you know, showing uh, Ridley that you guys could do the style that it was after. Uh, did you choose yep. which of Giga's artwork you were going to be doing in this style, or was it a case of make me something that looks like this kind of thing? Yeah, there was a couple that Ridley was a, that he was keen on, like where he felt that this is what the film is going to be. But um, I went, I just looked at the catalogue of stuff that I felt would be relevant and, yeah, I just did any of those. Okay. Matt, you were saying and something? I, I did the ones that you didn't do. <laughs> oh, just that they, they'd said, oh, here are a few giga pieces that, that uh, we think are appropriate and that sort of stuff. And, and, you know, yeah, Dane did certain ones, so I did, did certain other ones that weren't the same and that sort of gig. Oh, yeah. the, the whole thing was he, here is, you know, a, a gig. A piece from Necronomicon 
we, we want you to do it like Giga, but with the crucial thing being not in airbrush. You have to do it in, in charcoal or cross-hatching or, or whatever, because these are the old school sort of tools that, that David will have. Because mm. uh, you know technology sort of stopped as you know it's the dead planet and all of this sort of thing. I don't think they explained all of that to us, but but basically it was do it like Giga, but in charcoal. Or, or... Yeah. So uh, Dane, you touched on this a little bit, talking about um, doing lots of the style to work up to it. But did you do any yep. specific preparations for working on Covenant? You know, did you binge on the original films or study like um, Giga's? work or any of the other artists stuff like that well alien is a, a regular watch we have in my... to do we <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, like I, I watch alien pretty regularly but i didn't watch it when i knew it was coming i was too scared because i didn't want to i didn't want to be aware that i was that i was participating so I, it was too surreal and i didn't want to watch the film because it, it would just I would be so um, hesitant to um, get involved. Like, I, I don't know, it just creeped me out. So I refused to watch it. I usually watch it pretty regularly. Anyway, so I, I didn't do that. But I did start drawing some geiger stuff, which, as I've explained that before, that's what ended up being the drawing that was on the cover of the art book. There was that creature that I did. And I did a couple of other stuff just to get ready so that when I walked in to show anyone, I'm, you know, just to prove I wasn't a stranger to the world, you know? Mm. About you, Matt, did uh, you do any specific preparations? Not really, either. I, I, you know, it's it's sort of in our blood. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I guess the, the only thing was, yeah, those initial drawings. The, the other part of it, too, was, okay, uh, because we're both having to draw as if we're David, as, as if we're the one person, uh, they gave us some reference of... of uh, Rembrandt's pen and ink cross hatching uh, that he'd done on these shells, and uh, Leonardo for for like anatomical drawings and that sort of thing. So mm-hmm. trying yeah. to get into that space as well, and 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 I was trying to put Giga type language in there. So even if it's a plant, you know, uh, have have striations and and, and you know have it segmented like 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 Giga would, you know, the ribs and yeah. all of that sort of stuff. Sort of but stuff. as Working it in, yeah, as a structural thing that maybe that's how, you know, botany is on that planet, that sort of stuff. Okay, cool. Now, something that I think is really cool and something that you guys have spoken about a little bit in the past is how the illustrations are intended to represent David's descent into, you know, robotic madness. Yeah. And I was, it's a bit of a naive question, I guess, but with that in mind, did you work on those illustrations in any sort of chronological order so you were following the same sort of descent or was it a case of when inspiration hit you about a certain piece you'd just you'd roll with it <laughs> inspiration it's more like a fire you have to put out when you're working on a film and every time like those drawings they just the demand for those drawings kept expanding so it was more like a raging fire where Matt and I would just like not sleep and pretty much uh, live together and just draw like maniacs. But I mean, it was chronological because the the sets were in sequence. Like the sets went from memory, Matt. Correct me if I'm wrong. It went the living quarters and then your scroll room and then the lab. So and which was which was good because the lab had the most amount of drawings in it and the uh, scroll room, Matt's scrolls, they required the most amount of detail because you know they were going to be full screen. Hero pieces, so Matt had to 
like meticulously work those things over and get the likeness likeness of uh, Shaw down. Um, so yeah, no, we we did. We in some way it was kind of chronological, but it's only incidental. It's according to the the schedule of the film. Okay, so it just worked out nicely for you guys. Yeah. I guess so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, um, Dane, you mentioned the the artwork earlier actually, and it's that warm up piece that you did that's yep. pretty much just been repurposed for use on everything with the word Alien Covenant on it at the minute. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> in, in the context of Covenant, um, how did you envision that particular piece, that particular creature related to the film? Yeah, no, so the most exciting thing, like, and Matt and I were both, because we, we had to do the living quarters first. So that was where Matt and I did the most stuff together because... That was the first set that was up. So basically we had to do our homework before we could have our dessert, you know. So we had to do like plants and shells and which admittedly was still fun. But, you know, we just wanted to draw aliens and facehuggers. And then also, of course, the mutilated shore, you know, like that was so exciting. Like Matt and I did so many um, like pencil iterations. Matt did heaps more than me. But I, I've got quite a few where it's just pencil iterations of basically uh, disgusting uh, torture um, abuse. Like, you know, I kind of looked at it like it was a serial killer, serial killer love affair. You know, like it's that kind of crossing the line between genuine affection to obsessive connection. And so I felt that the creature would match the world because especially in the lab, because it would look like something that maybe like maybe David created it or maybe he it was just a fantasy of what he might be able to do with human genetics. Or maybe that's he hypothesized what the xenomorph genetics might do to human genetics, you know? So I felt that it was appropriate to have in there. I, I deliberately hung it right above the door because I was pretty stoked with it. So I deliberately <laughs> hung it right above the door so you could see it. <laughs> yeah, I, I really like the idea about you not quite being sure, as Dane said, you know, is it something that has happened over those 10 years? Uh, I like where it contradicts itself. And, you know, which do you believe or can you believe any of it? And the irony of, you know, if if they're just drawings and he's, he's they're actually sort of his creative artistic output, then that's a very human creative thing. So, you know, if it's real, if it's not real, I, I really like you know all of that stuff and uh, and uh, that yeah. it works within itself even if it does it, it, like and, and yeah i i continue that on with the final shore drawings where yeah. yes they do contradict each other and they do do look different to the body that we see and and that sort of stuff so and we know david is the unreliable narrator so you know all of that stuff is is already there and you know, you're playing with that. I, I, I like that because, again, you get back into the ambiguity of it. We, we both went hardcore on the, in those initial drawings and stuff, and they were a bit hard, a bit too hardcore for, for Ridley. But they said, you know, be nasty, go full on, and that sort of thing. This is a horror movie. And we're like, yeah. And we, we went hard, and most of them were just rejected outright. And I, I told this story before, but, but we were laughing because we, we were devastated because yeah. the feedback was like, what is wrong with those guys? <laughs> yeah. And uh, so so we were sort of so down because, you know, most of them to get through. On the other hand, we, it was a badge of honour because, you know, we grossed out Ridley and that sort of thing. So that was very, very cool. But, uh, yeah, yeah no, nah, and in the final ones too, I wanted – 
a lot of that that sacrilegious imagery i don't know how much of it comes through because the stuff is very very cut down and fast and that sort of thing but uh you know yeah i i, I love all that stuff of the madonna whore thing uh and he venerates her even as he desecrates her and all of that stuff you know it, it's good meaty stuff to get into so yeah that was fun and, and the whole uh what's wrong with these guys things actually quite a nice compliment because it puts you right up there with fucking giga doesn't it you know <laughs> i'm sure the same well, he, stuff was he, said he of was him telling a story of yeah what well, that that he told it uh ridley told us that that you know well some of that stuff is, is is a bit much for me it's a bit pornographic i'm like yeah well yeah it's giga right mm-hmm. you know yeah. but, but uh, it was funny to hear it from his mouth you know? one of the coolest moments was we're having a brief with ridley we're having like a review session <laughs> and he just walks up and i think matt and i both had about i don't know four to eight drawings each like laid out on the table for him to review and he looked at him and nothing really blew his mind straight away and he just picked up one of the i don't know what book it was matt it might have been the making of alien or it could have been necronomicon i don't remember but um, Ridley picks it up and he just casually starts flipping through the pages. Like he's kind of just getting distracted. And then he just starts talking to us about working with Giga. He was like, oh, you know, you, look at this face here. You can see this face here. That's when he started to lose it. That's that's not, you know, but back here, look at that. That's beautiful. That's absolutely beautiful. And Matt and I were just like, yeah, bro, let's talk more about this shit. <laughs> let's keep going. <laughs> Matt, something you just said perfectly segues us on to my next question, actually, which is that you've, you know, described David as being an unreliable narrator. Now, while there's some similarities between your illustrations and the prop in the film, I don't think there's probably any doubt Mm -hmm. that Shaw was actually mutilated by him, by David. So... (laughs) This is kind of another two-part question. I'm sorry, there's so many of these fucking things. Ones where I've just got run on and run on. So, what do you think david did to Shaw, and was that time gap in between prometheus and covenant ever really fleshed out for you guys or you know the folk working on the film did you have an idea of what had cracked off in you know that time frame well not not really um they just correct me if i'm wrong dane uh that they just sort of said that that you know in between this time you know he he's he's tortured her and and done things to her and everything but they never sort of laid out a timeline or what exactly it was and and that sort of thing um yeah and and in answer to your question yes uh i think he mutilated her i i think he did all sorts of things uh, he, he he yeah i think he killed her but i don't know if he killed her once or brought her back and killed her many times uh, you know, uh, some of the stuff that I did, I had the eyes rolled up in the head or whatever. You couldn't tell if she was alive or dead or in between. That's sort of, again, I, I like leaving that stuff, you know, to, to, to the viewer. And, you know, I, I think that sort of opens it up rather than shuts it down. And, you know, there's yeah. a danger that everything can be very literal and reductive. And especially when we get into this sort of nightmare territory, uh, there's there's so much in this film that that is literal and action and all of that sort of thing that you want to make it breathe somewhere and and uh, it's so evocative this stuff that you know the shore the shore stuff is is where it should I reckon and you know uh, whether whether he did this to her to her whether he did that to her 
or whether it's actually a drawing of what he would do to her and maybe didn't, you know. I, I like leaving it open that way. Okay, cool. Thank you. And something that I'm pretty sure you both mentioned on social media is that there were some constraints around just how gigares your work was allowed to be on the film. Uh, I was mm-hmm. hoping that you could elaborate on that and explain how it affected the way that you worked. Um, so it kind of started off where, like, it's it, it, when we started, it was very clear. It was like this is going to be so. This is going to harken back to Geiger with its whole heart and soul which, of course, made Matt and I really excited. But then there was a question of whether or not the Geiger estate would allow us to use their, like, actual Geiger artwork. And around the same time, we didn't even know if Numi Rapace's character was allowed to appear. Like, she had to approve the fact that she was going to, I guess, look pretty disgusting in this film. So it was kind of like a, I don't know, Matt, does that sound right? Do you remember that? Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Yeah, it would, like we were sort of waiting on the word or if there was or wasn't. I don't know, it's all it's all pretty murky to me and, you know, like we say, we're not in in the right spots to, to say exactly what went on between Fox and, and the Giga Estate and that sort of thing. But as it, as it turned out, I, I know, it's it's weird. Um, and, and, you know, as a, as a freelance illustrator and everything, I, I sort of get this because... It's it's murky sometimes where you're doing work for a production or for a client or whatever, and Giga did design like it, even though Necronomicon Four was was what pricked Ridley's ears up and and that sort of thing and brought him on. By the same token, Giga did the Xenomorph in its final state and everything, and all of that sort of language for the production so i i don't know if fox think thinks that's theirs because it's still as much giga as it is you know 20th century foxes and that sort of stuff but i, I i'm just you know speculating here but i i do understand that it can be a bit fuzzy so maybe maybe that was part of the whole negotiation thing but yeah we were told in the end that you know stay away from exactly this or that which was sort of confusing because man it's it's that is what the alien is. So how do you not do that? And how do you not make it like Giga? But I, I think that's why things were a little more organic looking and not quite so many hoses and, and, and yeah, rib hoses and that, and that sort of stuff. But you know what? At the end of the day, I feel like that works for the chronology anyway, that these are earlier versions and, and proto-morph or whatever you want to call it. And, you know, even the way... It ended up in the film where the aliens are running on all fours and that sort of stuff. And it's sort of like, you know, early man to, to Homo sapiens or Homo erectus or where they stand up and walk on, on, on their, you know, the two feet and stuff. So maybe it, it still leaves leaves room in, in the timeline for when we get to alien, that's when it becomes the big chap, you know. So, you know, I, yeah. I'm cool with it. <laughs> but, but, yeah, it's, it's, it is a little fuzzy to me. Okay. Uh, Matt, this is something I've asked you about on emails, but I thought it was something that people would be interested in here to hear on the podcast as well. Mm-hmm. So your artwork that was found in your sure artwork that was found in the scroll room, um, Ridley had spoken mm-hmm. in the past about how the Hall of Heads and this whole citadel was supposed to 
represent a place that contained all the knowledge of the engineers. Do you think that the rest of those scrolls that Daniels didn't look at were also David's work, or were there also engineer texts on old-fashioned scrolls in there? I'm not quite sure, but I think probably both, because he has been there 10 years. And he's been scribbling away, and he's probably pretty fast being a robot and all of that sort of thing. On the other hand, you know, the whole thing with the engineers, uh, you know, all of that that classic ancient civilization sort of imagery and everything would say that, yeah, they, they were into doing stuff on scrolls and stuff too. That's why that room was there in the first place. So, yeah, I'm sure there was a load of that stuff. There's a specific piece of Shaw that you did, which I think is the first one that you actually see in the film of David's illustrations, where Shaw's head is in some sort of freaky cone-shaped thing that's, you know, <laughs> sort of, you know, what what's going on there? What's what's that piece? What's the story behind that? <laughs> okay, so uh, I was, I did a whole bunch of drawings that were like, well, okay, well, what's this whole, where does the face other thing come from? And, and, you know, I thought, oh, maybe it's like plants, like uh, exhaling oxygen, you know, that whole rebreathing thing. But but it wasn't completely literal. Like that 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 thing that's sucking on a head. I I, I don't like everybody and I get that everybody thinks it's it's got the overpositor down a throat and all of that sort of thing, but I don't know that it does. I think this is like an early proto sort of thing. And me when de- designing it, it was like, well, I don't want to make it completely clear if it's, you know, plant, animal or, or, or mineral or, or, or whatever. You just, it's it's this early proto sort of shape and, you know, it's where he's investigating and fine-tuning and all of that sort of thing. So, yeah, maybe it is keeping her alive, but maybe it's just the, the breathing part of it. I, I had another sketch where he's feeding... I think it might have been a female engineer, her, her own lungs, or, or was it, maybe it was a male one. I can't remember. Anyway, you know, rebreathing as as a visual pun where, you know, the, the, the lungs have sort of been plucked out and back down the throat again. So it's like circular breathing and all of this sort of stuff. So it, it, it's not... It's not completely literal, but it's it's just sort of, again, it's slightly ambiguous and evocative and, and that sort of thing. So we're not quite sure what happened there, to sure. As, you know, as creative folk, does that kind of open nature of it, is that fun for you guys? Do you like working like that? <laughs> like, sure. like, I could speak on behalf of Matt, like, absolutely yes. <laughs> yep. Like, yep. we're effectively, we... You know, it's our that's our creativity. That's that's us off the leash. Like, you know, there, there were times where we got like we all worked together. We worked together with Victor Zolfo, the set decorator, and we we got to you know confer with him all the time. But really, once we had won Ridley's trust, we were let off the leash, and nothing nothing could be more fulfilling than that. Where basically you're trusted. It's your it's the you've got the language down, and you're trusted to be creative and that's just what you've always wanted it's the stuff that you don't even really get to do on big budget films it's it's a rare treat where someone says you've got the language down you know what you're doing go nuts that's exhilarating is that true Matt? for sure yeah <laughs> absolutely but but not that it doesn't go the other way as well like because uh, you know how how i got carried away with all of that you know breaking it down in internal logic stuff like even <laughs> with the plant stuff where he's, I, I wrote all this backstory gear where, okay, if it, if it's the, the, the alien, why does it, how does it grow so fast and that 
sort of stuff. I did one called the tumor garden because we know tumors uh, that that's rapid rapid growth and uh, malignant and all of that sort of stuff. Um, and others where investigating like fibrous plant tissue where you can increase the volume and the size without increasing the true mass of it and all of this sort of stuff. You know, and okay, if it's the alien's dome, then okay, we know they're afraid of fire, but what if the reason we don't see the eyes really, we, we, we get into the skull in there, but but generally it's, it's that big phallic sort of dome. What if the whole surface of it is, um, you know, it just sees in a different bandwidth and, and that bandwidth is thermal. So then fire is going to not just burn it, but blind it, you know, which would mm. make it scared of fire. All of these little things. And it doesn't matter if you never see that or know that. But but for me, it was a nice sort of working method to have an internal logic that David is trying to work things out and, and refine and, and perfect this thing uh, because it, it makes your drawings consistent. So, yeah, the, the, but that's sort of the polar opposite to, to the ambiguous stuff where you're going into, to you know, the literal side of things. But, you know, so it, it, it's all good. And uh, the, the only thing uh, about going back to that drawing with, with the thing sucking on a head, which the, the the first thing that the the inspiration for that was like was some guy and a girl kissing and one of them had a hoodie right so that yeah that, that was sort of the thing for that but but um it sort of bit us in the balm a little bit because certain people weren't that hot on on that illustration but I kept putting it forward because I knew Ridley would like that <laughs> and yeah. in the end it became a, <laughs> a bummer because he, he he couldn't sort of he said I really like that. I really like that. Do the same thing as that, but different. Went, yeah. Oh, shit, what does that mean? You know? <laughs> so it became a thing in the end. So. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. Make it sexual. What was it? Make it sexual, but not sexy. sexy. It was, was sexy, one. but not sexual. Yeah. How, how would you... I don't know. Maybe that's why you guys are the creatives. I, I couldn't think of a way in which to do that. <laughs> so but here's the thing, man. After Ridley said that, he like he looked at us. And he was kind of defeated too because he wasn't mm. quite sure exactly what this is going to look like. And he goes, you got to make it sexy but not sexual. And then he shrugged his shoulders and walked away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, about the closest way. Because, you know, he it's not that he can't articulate. He absolutely can and he's very decisive and all of that sort of thing. But, yeah, the, the remember that time when he said he sort of shrugged his shoulders and said, I know, it's hard. It's and, hard, and, yeah. <laughs> And that was it. <laughs> and left us with it. Yeah. It's pretty funny. And and, yeah. and sort of his apology was to spend a bit more time with us and regale us with, with you know, the stories and stuff. So that, that was yeah. pretty awesome for us. Cool. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Oh, um, you, you, Matt, you're proving to be quite a king at segueing into new questions for me. <laughs> <laughs> Who knew rambling was a strange? Well, you, 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 you were talking about, like, the... Um, the literal stuff and, and the, the real world elements of what you were doing. Now, um, the next thing I was wondering was, you know, a lot of David's illustrations are accompanied by notations. They're hard to make out, but presumably they are related to, you know, genuine biology and stuff like that. So I was wondering if you pair had put much research into the real world, quotation marks, aspects of it and wrote those yourself, those notations. Yeah. So this, yeah, I sort of, uh, took over with that one like Matt Matt had written a lot of stuff which got used but when because the lab contained more of those kinds of drawings so 
I sort of had to do it, but there was so much to do that I wanted to. Like, I wish I had more time where I could sit down and fully inject pure mythology into every single bit of information. But it was intense because the process was really, really tricky. Ridley had a calligrapher that he really liked, and I, I must apologize that I, I cannot remember her name. Um, she was an older lady and she was um, a, a very well-regarded calligrapher and really, really liked her handwriting. And so what I had to do was get the image and then the, because we, we were really trusted with this stuff. So no one could just whack any old garbage on there. So I had to get the image. I had to figure out what text would be appropriate, place it on the image lay it out we had assistance we had megan leonard and emma gracie were helping us um they'd lay out the information as to where it should go then that would be then sent off to the calligrapher the calligrapher would then write the exact handwriting in the exact same position that i had to be in then it would come back then it would have to be scanned at a high resolution then placed on top of the image that was there and then sent off to the printer and we also had issues with the sizing because it's just a like we're all really tired anyway, but it was a head trip to get our mind around the size of everything. And so, mm-hmm. man, some of it is accurate and beautiful, like Matt stuff. Whenever you know we could apply it, we would use it. Some of it is a direct reference to anatomy. Here's the other thing: nothing. The clearance people wouldn't let us get away with nothing being copied from off the internet. So what I found myself doing was, if there was an organism that had a like, uh, like a similar kind of life cycle or trait like say as a tadpole i'd look up a tadpole i'd find the text i'd write the text then i'd rearrange all the words so that it would be xenomorphic so to speak and then place it and then give it over to the assistants to then sort it all out so it was a uh, it was so uh, convoluted and it weighed so heavily on me at the time but um yeah, because uh, that's that how it was went down. when it was all sort of cooking and and yeah, the lab stuff was you know the the, the pressure was on by then. Like most of my stuff that that I wrote and everything, all that backstory story stuff, that was much earlier on. And you know, yeah, I, that, I was going home at night and and you know cooking stuff up or what what whatever you know. Yeah, just to be clear, that was much earlier than than when it was all coming down on 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 Dane's head <laughs> with the with the lab. <laughs> yeah. So. You've both, this, this is going to be another one of those massive run-on questions, so again, apologies. You've both shared pictures of yourself with Ridley on the set of Covenant. Yep. So, a bunch of questions to do with Ridley. So, uh, how involved was he with your work, and, you know, what what was it like? I mean, Matt, you're there with your nerd shirts on, which is awesome, but, you know. <laughs> which he, he didn't realise, but, oh. but that's okay by me. <laughs> he would probably... Uh, you're fired for being a humongous nerd. <laughs> yeah. Well, I wanted I wanted him to have a dig at you for your predator shirt. When when I I met him at the um, the press junket, I purposefully avoided <laughs> saying the name of the website because he's <laughs> you're, uh, <laughs> no, right, right, massively right, yeah. outspoken about that, isn't he? So yeah, yeah, he is. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm glad that was an obscure shirt, the the predator one. <laughs> Um, but yeah, in, in answer to your question, it, st- it started out that there wasn't much interaction at all. Mm. And uh, then as time wore on and we really got into the, you know, those more full on sets and, and got more specific, then he was much more hands on, which was, you know, really great. Because like I say, by the end, he was sharing anecdotes and, and that sort of stuff. But, you know, for, for a while there, 
when we did get to see him and, and lay everything out on the table near the video village and stuff, like, Dane, you remember that time when I had all that stuff there and he just came along and said, nope, 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 and then went? Fucking hell. I'm like, that, that's great, but you're just going to say that to the next lot now because yeah. <laughs> give me something here, you know? Yeah. But, yeah, yeah. no, it's a, so it, it got... It, it, it got uh, yeah. We, we had more interaction with him as time went on. I think also he became more invested once he saw what was happening, because obviously in the script there's heaps of stuff in there, and it says, "Oh, there's these drawings," you know. And he was very mm-hmm. uh, stringent mm-hmm. about who got the job and how well they would, you know, how well they'd perform. But once we'd won his trust with the Rembrandt drawings, then it was kind of mm-hmm. okay. But we sort of didn't see him. But then when the first set was up, the living quarters set. That's when he became fully invested, and that's when he started ordering more drawings. It was like more, 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 because he started to yeah. really, really love it. Which is, of course, I mean, that was really flattering, and you know, it was, a, it was like a career high. It was great, but yeah, yeah. That, that's that's when I felt that his involvement really got it. And then he said it. He's, he goes, I, "I never take anything home from from my film, but I'm definitely taking this stuff." So that was, you know, super awesome compliment. And that's why we got the, well, due to you as well, uh, mainly, uh, but but that's why he agreed to have have that little bespoke photo with us. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, we're so, I felt so lucky that that actually happened because, yeah, they, look, I mean, usually you I'd feel unprofessional. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, like, yeah, I felt bad, but stuff it. Let's just go. <laughs> Um, but, you know, like, like, usually I would feel unprofessional, but because I knew he was such a fan of the work, I, like, it was like, and because he, you know, he's a, a great artist himself, so, and sure enough, like, when we got to meet him properly for the first time, like, you could just, we could have easily just had a glass of wine in our hand and just sat down for another four hours and just talked about art. Like, he is so passionate about that stuff, so, you know, um, yeah, like, I think after he saw the artwork, he developed a genuine interest and connection to us in a way because he was into he's into art, he's into fine art, he's into all that stuff. I guess that's probably why it's in the script. I guess, but so yeah. Do you remember which one it is? Which piece he took home with him? Which pieces? For me, there's an egg drawing. I haven't shared it yet, but I know he was super proud of that. Like there was a couple of times where, according to the set decorator, he he picked it up and he goes, "That's it. That's the film. That's it." Which is, of course, that's very you know. That's exhilarating. I wish I heard it for myself because it's sort of hearsay now, but (laughs) yeah. I was hoping you could talk a little about some of the techniques that went into the artwork because I think you've spoken in the past how, because of how demanding it was for this output of of pictures, they weren't literally all, you know, you sat there, you guys sat there with your pencil and your charcoal, but there was some level of um, computer manipulation involved as well. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Um, like we started out pretty traditionally, but but you know what? Yeah, like like Dane says, once it was like, well, it went from thirty to sixty to a hundred to to whatever. You know, it, we had to what we call Frankenstein them. You know, to fill out background and uh, and that sort of thing. So yeah, yeah. Like we did start off doing these really big drawings with with charcoal on on the lovely Japanese paper and and that sort of stuff. But when we realised they were asking for squillions, it just, you know, we had to find a a faster, more practical method, you know. And my my background's in in pre-press and that 
sort of thing. So Charlie and I went off and found a printer that, that reckoned they could do it. And uh, when it got into the heat, the, the thick of it, as Dane says, he took over that, you know, that, that sort of staff with the assistants and everything. So, yeah, it just, it would have been lovely to do everything completely old school and, Man, the guys yeah. upstairs were, were very jealous that we were doing, you know, pen and ink and charcoal <laughs> and that sort of stuff. But uh, yeah. we had to find sort of methods where even if we uh, did layers traditionally, we, we would massage them in and, and we would cut and paste and reverse and upside down and, you know, stick a bit of that illustration onto a bit of this one and, and just, you know, because there was so much and, and Dane mainly for, for, for that massive... Um, lab set which just swallowed up the drawings like you wouldn't believe yeah it was a huge uh space vacuum so i was so scared i wasn't going to have enough drawings i just kept i just kept cranking them out and uh man i did a couple of all-nighters where i mean of course like doing the drawings yeah it was challenging but organizing all of the text and the font and i'm not a graphic designer by any stretch of the imagination so man i was picking matt's brain like crazy because i had no idea about sizing paper prepping anything for print man it was uh oh it was creepy man (laughs) (laughs) but you did it yeah yeah here we are (laughs) this this is something that matt you touched on a little bit earlier was there anything specific that you guys personally created or maybe read in the script that didn't make it into the final product that you wish would have been there yeah there were a few things that well yeah that like i say i, I liked that earlier iteration of the arm thing uh what what else uh well oh the, the, there's stuff um dane do you remember when there was the whole thing of uh like the the um uh, what do you call it uh um when you stop dangerous stuff getting uh, getting into the country and and that sort of quarantine. what do you call that again oh um, the satellite yeah 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 they had that like the, yeah. the quarantine sort of net over the planet yeah i forgot and, about and that. i think a touch of that is still in there where he drops the it's... bombs and they seem seem to spread over an invisible sort of shield right but then yes. they break through yeah. and, and and that sort of thing but yeah, yeah. And, and it makes a lot well well, to me, yeah, th- this was – in the final film, it's mainly that Tennessee decides, oh, okay, it- it's it's going to be rough. I don't know if, if the ship will hold up because it's not supposed to enter atmosphere, blah, 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 that sort of thing, but I'm going to go anyway, and they do for a bit and then say, yeah, okay. Yes. But yeah. there was this whole like thing earlier on where they had to fix the satellite and to try and, and take that thing down so that they could get through this – electrical storm thing and 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 yeah it's sort of it seems like there are just scarics of that now but yeah that that was a a much bigger part of it yeah just just can you remember any other things no i was gonna say just in case anyone didn't know what that was um in the script originally there was the engineers had created this satellite that would protect any foreign bodies coming in or out of the planet and it was that's what was preventing all of the transmissions from getting through. And that's also what stopped David from getting out clear SOSs or whatever it was that was, you know, I think in the end, I guess it's a little less contrived what they have going on now. But there was a nice high stakes element to it, I guess, that I thought was pretty good. Yeah, um, it it, it did have a logic thing. to it. And, and, you know, the thing of, of trying not to let stuff in or out. There was another logic to it in case something did go wrong with the black goo or, or you know, the, all, yeah. all of that sort of stuff or, or you know, aliens or, or, or whatever. 
So, yeah. I wondered if that's what it was in the film. I, I recently just saw it again in China <laughs> where they cut everything out of it. <laughs> like, it was what the, was the that like? Digest version. Dude, it's a, it's a nuded, an absolutely nuded version of it. Some of it's better. Like, you know, the, the backbursting scene at the beginning, I feel like was a little stronger because you see less of it. It just felt kind of creepy. Mm. Um, but everything else just sucked. There was like uh, spontaneous deaths that you couldn't see. Uh, there was spontaneous alien kind of reactions to nothing. The Michael Fassbender kiss is gone as well. So there was no release of that like tension that they were building the whole time. When I say they, I mean both of the Fassbenders, but... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it was it was bizarre, man. Is there anything that you wish it had been in there, Dean? Any any of your work or any story elements or whatever? No, not really, man. The whole time I was just vying for. I really, really hated the chestburster scene when David communicates with the chestburster and he lifts his hands out and the creature does it as well. And the whole time I was just praying it wouldn't make it in there, but it isn't. It's not as bad as I thought it was going to be, but you know, I just yeah, uh, there was more, it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. More of that scene. Yeah, yeah, it was some. Um, I just remember me and both Matt and I were just like praying, like, please don't let it be. And Victor said, Dean, it's in the previous, so it's going to be in the film. I was like, yeah, okay, great. <laughs> no, but in terms of stuff being in there that was in the script, there was a log cabin, I remember. There was, I don't know, there was, seemed to be more sort of character building dialogue as opposed to like sort of just moving things along for speed, I suppose. But I don't know. There was Like I know everyone knows that there was supposed to be the, the Neomorph versus the Xenomorph at the end. I saw the previews for it. I saw it. I don't know that it would have necessarily worked. I don't know. Maybe it would have been nice to see, I guess. But that's all just hypothetical. There's no way to know. They have a little bit of that in the, the novelization, Alan Dean's Alan Dean Foster's oh, right. novelization. And yep. it doesn't receive a massive amount of attention. Basically, it went for each other and the Neomorph just gets gutted and the alien's like, I'm the fucking king here right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what it looked like in the previews. In the previews, he does like a WWE stance, like he's uh, like, "I'm your god." No, yeah. no. <laughs> Rather than anything specific for me, and Dane and I have talked about this before, but uh, for me, because it was so paired back to the action stuff, it became more literal to me, and it became the story beats became things that we've seen in many other alien movies already. Whereas uh, I thought, I thought some of the the what was more of a mystery, you know, going down into the catacombs or whatever, you know, going down into Dead City and the the characters gradually discovering along the way and the building up until we get to ground zero of of the lab and, and then we find what's happened to Shaw, all, all of that sort of stuff. Losing losing that, I, I, I know we're biased, I guess, but but trying to be objective, losing that stuff for action beats that we've seen in in many of the movies you know distress call investigate uh somebody gets infected it all goes wrong that sort of stuff at least some of the other stuff i, I know people are like yeah but that's not alien and that sort of thing but but it would have been a movie an alien movie that was different uh yeah. and just because the the owners shifted on onto more of the action uh, i felt like I would have loved to see that, and and we sort of lost a lot of it. And uh, no, yeah, but even things. Sorry, go on. 
No, I, I was just going to say, just in case um, people don't realise, in the script, the drawings were featured. The drawings were, they were the tapestry of the of the journey of David and the story of the film. And originally, it was quite creepy. What happens is, as they descend down the corridor, the drawings were up on the wall, and you, you saw the progression from tame drawings to disgusting lab experimentation to the mutilated shore drawings. And so there was a whole... Was it was kind of, um, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah. And so that was kind of lost. And again, Matt's right. Like, it's a little hard to say, oh, you know, that would have been better if it was in there or not. I, I don't know. It's, it's so hard. But it, it definitely felt more patient and more of a, it was more stomach churning than it was a heart racing, I guess. Now, Dane, I believe there was a little bit of overlap between yourself and the creature department. Oh, yeah. Uh, you were designing... Um, all these crazy creatures for David's War, and they were building yep. some of them, or building some creatures. I don't know if they were necessarily your designs, but I was hoping you could elaborate on what that overlap, what that collaboration involved. Yeah, well, look, both Matt and I went into the creature department like once a week, if not for the fact that we just loved going in there. Yeah. But uh, we were referencing stuff that they had already done. But what, what was really going on was everyone was in under so much pressure to produce, you know, really good content that, what happened was we were both like it would have been better if we were all working simultaneously. Like I would have loved to have drawn more stuff that they would have liked to have made. Like uh, Adam Johansson, the legend from uh, Odd Studios, uh, I think he's uh, he's one of the head dudes for Odd Studios. But when he came in and saw the drawings I did, he immediately took there's a cross there's a drawing that I did of a cross section of the Neomorph where its head split in half. He took it, and I don't know, man, it felt like it was overnight. He sculpted a version of it that, in my mind, it was way better because he resolved all of the little... No, I guess no one would give... No one really care if they look at it on screen, but but Adam resolved all the little bits of information that I kind of, you know, left black on my drawing. But that was one of the coolest things that I saw get done. And then also uh, Dominic Halston, which is a is an awesome filmmaker in his own right, but he uh, came... Uh, into our little space and sort of set up to do some 3D modeling for creatures. And then when he saw the drawings I was doing, he's like, man, I'm, I'm modeling that. Like, that has to be in the film. So he did a version of one of the fetuses that I did. I don't think I've shared that yet either. Uh, oh, no, I did, actually. I think it's online somewhere. Did, yeah. But, yeah. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. yeah. Do we have any that, photos of that? Because that was super cool with, with the, uh, the black inside and the clear outside and everything. Awesome. No, when I when I went to London, actually, uh, Dominic gave me all of his photos. So I have them, but I left them in Sydney. Like, right, like I, I came back from London, I was home for a week and then went straight to Beijing. So I was very, very unprepared. So, yeah, I haven't even seen those photos yet. And, and I think a, a lot of us, with, with the uh, the speed of it and all, because on that table in the lab, you know, like Dane says, the creature guys just did an amazing job. But I, I'm sure all of us would have loved to, rather than, okay, like Earth-type creatures on that table that are all eviscerated and, and that sort of stuff yeah. uh, in there with, with, with a few uh, face huggers and, and that sort of thing. Man, we, we would have loved it so much if we could have designed, you know, like yeah. alien <laughs> flora and fauna, you know, and, and yeah. for, for that table and stuff. But just, you know, it, it, so that was, a, that, that was a wistful thing but uh, that didn't quite happen, but, you know, it would have been super cool. The timing, the schedule for everyone was nuts and because Ridley just kind of flies with what's going on, it's, you, you never know, like things could get moved ahead, like like he shot so fast, so there was stuff that would just, 
just blow by and the next thing you knew the whole set was already wrapped and i was like oh man then we're up next you know we're all running out of time so yeah uh, like i mentioned earlier you guys are pretty well known for these illustrations at the minute but you've also been sharing pieces of prop concept art as well oh yeah yeah Yep. <laughs> Did you have like just a tiny brief period where you were doing that kind of thing before you moved on to the illustrations? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. But like, man, I don't think Matt and I would have ever would have let it change hands. The 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 drawing of the the big drawings was so like intensely like dead set on doing it that we weren't going to let it get away. So even when we were still drawing prop concepts and stuff, we were still really just biding our time until we could do some big disgusting drawings. <laughs> but remember that time when, when like Chris had me on, uh, I don't know, some 3d thing or, or something. Uh, but, oh, but yeah, the was, I jumped around and doing weapons and all of that sort of thing too. But yeah, there was yeah. that day when Chris realized, you know, and he'd asked me to do the stuff, the prop stuff or whatever. And, and then he realized, Oh shit, Matt, Matt's not doing the short, the, 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 the David drawings, What the hell you're back on these. <laughs> yeah. Get back to work. <laughs> Cause I was saying, I was like, shouldn't I be doing David drawings? You know, this is cool and everything. Don't get me wrong. But uh, what? <laughs> yeah chris seeger's production designer by the way sorry yeah, I, I was gonna ask that actually <laughs> <laughs> your involvement with covenant didn't just end after you'd finished creating david's illustrations i was hoping you'd tell us a little more about what happened after that i think dane you were involved with the actual onset decorating and then didn't you both go on to do some work with the marketing department? Um, so, yeah, like when while the film was happening, I was kind of jumping in between doing the drawings, kind of overseeing the, the printing and then uh, putting them up in the space because, you know, they all had to tell the story, you know, on the wall. But after the film had finished, I went to L.A. to – I wanted to pitch a book where it was just Matt and my drawings because – you know, we, we did so many of them that we could easily fill a book. And I think it's something that the fans would love. Mm, definitely. Oh, man, like I've never had like every day was like a wedding day where everyone would just come up and people I didn't even know were just going, oh, my God, I love that drink so much. Can I have it? I'm like, oh, yeah. I don't know if it really works like that, but uh, who knows? Maybe <laughs> we could do a book. So I, I put a pitch together. I, I made a pitch. I think it looks pretty awesome. I went to Fox in L.A. and I it kind of turned around on me like I walked into the meeting there was I first met with 3am which was a marketing uh kind of team and then she referred me to Alison Temp which is a lovely girl over there um she then uh set up a few meetings at Fox um in Fox Studios and I met with all of the marketing team there and they had already done some of the drawing basically you know the Regal Cinemas prints with that picture on it yeah yep yep and there's the spliced egg is on one of them and mm. And all this kind of stuff. And they were showing those drawings to me laid out on nice paper and stuff. And I was like, wow. So it, the pitch kind of flipped around where they were showing me this stuff. And they were like, do you have any ideas? Do you think this is good? And it became less about a book and more about marketing material. And so that was all well and good. And they all said, look, we're definitely going to do something. We're definitely going to do something. And then I left. And sure enough, around Christmas time, um, they called me to do some, uh, there was an animation and I immediately just said, well, Matt has to be involved. So I got Matt in on it. So we were both do also, we were both working on Pacific Rim at the time. And I think Matt had just finished and I was still working on Pacific Rim. So, um, I couldn't right. I do the back, work anyway. 
What's that, man? Didn't didn't I come back? I came back. Yeah, in. yeah, yeah. You yeah. have to come back in because you'd already packed all your stuff. <laughs> um, <laughs> and yeah, because because I couldn't even do it because I was still working on the other job. So yeah, then we kind of Matt sort of took over that one because um, you know he because Matt didn't get to do much of the creature stuff, and of course we both really wanted to do it and so matt really spearheaded that one but we ended up they they didn't use it in the end and then i moved on to aquaman and um i think matt was still in sydney at the time uh because aquaman was an interstate job uh and uh then i got a call from a different bunch of guys from fox which is where we did the instagram carousels but i don't know what i mean we finished that stuff relatively early but it, it didn't it didn't manage to hit the hit the internet until really close to the release date of the film so they kind of got lost i guess but the funny thing about the the egg too was that i i felt like you know instead of coming out just before christmas the the at Easter was surely the perfect time for, for that opening egg. Hmm. Yeah. So. Did you go, did they come to you with specific ideas for the marketing stuff? Yeah, they did. Yeah. At first they were kind of open to hear what I had to say. And I, I, I was, I wanted them to sort of know, look, I, I represent the, the fan community. I'm the guy that buys this stuff. I'm the guy that's excited about the film that like, I'm the archetype of the, the kind of guy you want to impress. So, uh, you know, I think that, I could offer some kind of insight as to what might get people excited or the community, the fan community excited. And um, at first they were kind of open to it. Then it kind of changed and they were just really like, they really wanted to tell me what they wanted. I, I sort of wish, I, like Matt and I had this conversation where I, I wish I, I knew that we had as much freedom as we did have in the end because we could have taken charge of it. But I didn't know that they, they were very, you know, they, they were very clear with what they wanted at first, but then it kind of got a little bit, I don't know, the brief kind of evolved and changed. And then even those carousels, they became animation things where they were originally meant to just be photographic matte paintings, which, of course, that, that would take ages. To render concept art up to the point of uh, photographs, Is it's a monumental uh, undertaking. And so, um, you know, I told them, oh, we, we need at least, I forget, Matt, I think we gave them like six weeks or four weeks even. I don't know. But, yeah, it kind of changed and evolved. So, yeah. Now, you mentioned the book, actually, the David's Diary thing. Yep. Is is that looking likely to actually see released? Because that would be fucking awesome. I would love something like that. So the book, um, yeah, look, I, I, I don't know who to speak to at Fox about it, but I, you know, I left them with the con. They have the concept for the book outlined there. But in the meantime, I've been approaching publishers to try to get them to look after the licensing rights so that I don't really need to deal with it. They can basically pay, sort of just pay Matt and me to put the book together so we can, then we can, you know, really make sure the text is right and all that kind of stuff. I don't know, look, if our social media accounts keep getting the amount of attention they do, it's going to be really easy to convince them that people will want to see a book like that. So it's been really good because everyone's been really supportive of our stuff so far. So that's really yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah. Did you did you say you didn't know who Fox to speak to about it? Yeah, like the guys that I met were marketing guys while I was there. And so what happens then is once they're sort of done with marketing, then I guess they kind of leave the project, you know, like like the, the film is done making its money at the box office and that sort of concludes their their obligation. Then after that, it, it's really nebulous knowing who's going to oversee the future potential money making of the franchise because that you could release that book in five years time and people will still be just as interested in it you know i may be able to help you with that oh fantastic excellent mm. right let's do it yeah I'll, I'll drop i'll drop you a message with the name of the guy who's um 
essentially looking after all the licensing stuff at Fox itself. Huh, awesome. That's yeah. it. That's who I need to speak to. Like the concept's done. Like like the outline of, of how we present the book is there. And I think uh, I like, oh, it's going to follow. This is how I would like to see it happen. Um, and I know Matt feels the same where it basically follows on from David's progression. It goes from the, from the kind of, uh, naive nature study kind of stuff through to the lab mutation kind of stuff and then finally to Matt's gorgeous renderings of the mutated shore. Hmm. Would, would it involve like, um, you know, lots of, I suppose, his um, musings as well, you know, present it as a narrative? Um, yeah, I would yeah. love it to be What, what exactly I always that. thought, yeah, uh, was that um, not not just in, in, in the, the images but also in the notations where at first, it seems sort of innocent, and uh, the 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 notes are all, all sort of scientific and 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 seem reasonable and everything. And then you know the 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 actual writing starts to deteriorate a bit, and and yeah. uh, like it it gets more arrogant, and and like you know, so it just you chart the hubris, and, and uh, then by the end of it, there's actually less writing as his mind is going more and you know so so when you get to the shore drawings there's not much text at all because mm. you know he, he's he's off with the pixies by then you know yeah well, keeping on the subject of marketing related stuff Dana, yep. i think it was you who mentioned in a previous interview with the fellas from the perfect organism podcast that you yep. ne- nearly starred in a viral piece yourself which never ended up being released um Matt and I. It ended up being me, yeah. (laughs) I was hoping you could elaborate and tell us what the hell this this unreleased viral piece was. What were you doing? Well, there was, um, uh, like, so 3AM were looking after additional uh, kind of footage and storyline stuff. And I guess so they must have been the ones that did the prologue um, stuff. Like, they would have overseen that. Yeah, that's right. And so there was all this other stuff that they shot as well. Obviously, Walter 79 was the biggest deal, and I thought that one looked really awesome as well. But there was um, bits where David, like, who knows, maybe this stuff will end up on the DVD, but there's bits where you can see David doing his drawings, and they they were shooting an actor over the shoulder, and sort of, like, there's a whole script for it where you can sort of see his musings on what he's doing. And, yeah, I mean, one of the last days. And actually poking and prodding around, too. Yeah, there was real meat on Sarah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They did shoot it, that, but um, I guess, yeah, um, it's yet to see the light of day. Who knows? And, and tell the story about your being left-handed. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, so I'm a lefty, and so we have this whole thing with, I, I don't know, I didn't talk to Ridley about it, but someone did, like, is David left-handed or not? And he's not. <laughs> so that means that uh, Matt was Matt was the one that was going to be the, the hand of David. <laughs> did, did you actually end up doing it, Matt, then? Yeah, yeah, they showed it and everything. Oh, cool. Which was funny because that was after the main shoot had wrapped. So we, we, we kept going all the way to after wrap. Yeah, yeah. Still doing little drawings and stuff for them. Yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, you're right. Now, which one of the other's illustrations for the film would you guys say was your favourite? So, Dane, what was your favourite piece of artwork from Matt and vice versa? I think I said this before as well. I loved Matt's. Matt has a version of Shaw where since seeing it again in China, I know that it is in the film, and it's the one where she's basically her face is separated from beneath the nose or the or the lip, the top lip, and her basically her face just turns into viscera. It's just disgusting, but 
I love it, man. First of all, the likeness of Shaw, bang on, of course. And the um, tiny little details in the little strands of flesh, which may or may not be dry or wet. You can't tell. It's it's a nightmare. It's uh, awesome. I love it. So that's that's my favorite. About you, Matt. Favorite of Danes? Oh, the, the, the one that's – I'm so happy that it's on, you know, the the, the out of book and, and the toys and everything. That that – the the bust of, of of the alien that that Dane did that that's my absolute favorite because like I said that it, it's absolutely in the world of Alien but it's also absolutely Dane style so oh, I, I just I, I adore that one I think it's fantastic thanks Matt the legend <laughs> now Dane you got the you know you you attended the world premiere of, of yep. Coven you flew over to London what was that like is you know have you, have you done many other actual you know world premieres of the films you've worked on how did it compare to that kind of experience I don't I don't remember I think the Mad Max one might have been the world premiere I can't remember the London one was awesome that really only happened because I was still working with the marketing team up until the day before I left to go to London really and they um you know, I kept them asking them, you know, when's it going to be and blah, blah, blah. So anyways, it ended up happening so I could leave to go there, which was excellent. And uh, it was great because I hadn't seen my wife for a long time because I was working interstate. So she came along and, you know, we got to do all the, the Hollywood kind of stuff. It was it was fun, man. It was great. I, I actually spent a lot of time talking to Yuli, the, um, I forget the name of the character that he plays, but he's got a beard. He's the guy trying to operate the, um, oh, trying um... to yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, I know his name's Yuli in real life, but he was a he was a sweetheart, man. He was an absolute legend. Oh, and Benedict Wong as well. Benedict Wong walks up the stairs and he sees us talking to Yuli, and he insists on taking the photo. Like we we thought, well, like yeah, let's get a photo with Benny Wong. That's great. But he just took the camera and took a photo of us together, and I was like, oh wow, okay, man, thanks heaps, bro. That's really nice of you. <laughs> oh, cool. I'm glad you enjoyed that. Yeah, no, it was great. So now, you know, the, the film's other work's behind you, the film's release is behind you. You've touched on it a bit briefly. Um, you know, we know you got you thought it were better than Prometheus. But what did you think of the finished product when you finally got down to, you know, actually watching it? Yeah, um, so uh, I, I felt that um, the, there was problems with pacing in that, it, like, you know, I've said this quite a few times, actually, and, and I know Matt tends to agree with me. I, I feel that it was... It was a film that was so much more concerned with being an action horror than it was being a horror, or at least a horror with heaps of dread um, and mystery. And so that kind of, to me, was a little bit demystifying. I One scene I really disliked was when the Neomorph is just hanging out outside the temple and you can just see it run into the roof. It just runs up the wall and goes in, and I was like, that's a good example of, like, I would so much prefer that information being inferred so we're scared as the audience, like like real life. Like, if something's around the corner, it's scarier than if it's just hanging out in front of you, you know? Mm. So, yeah, there's just little bits and pieces like that that kind of kind of irked me, I guess. But, um, I mean, overall, I was still happy with it. So, yeah. Matt, what did you think of the finished Alien Covenant? Uh, yeah, well, like, I, like I said, uh, I, I sort of went into that before about uh, it became more like other films, other alien films we've 
seen instead of its own thing. Uh, you know, and, and I get the whole thing that they were been between a rock and a hard place because last time, you know, the, they were criticised because you know, I thought this was an alien movie. You got no aliens in it, and then you put an alien in at the end. This time they gave him an alien movie. Oh, you shouldn't have listened to us. We, you know, why did you put aliens in just because we all said we wanted aliens? In? You know, so there's all of that. I honestly don't remember that being an issue. I really don't. Right. Okay. Well, I don't know. I I read a lot of stuff on, on you know from fans and stuff that, that well you know there are a bunch of issues and uh, and there, again um, I would have liked more of that sort of mystery and and build up and and suspense and that sort of stuff like and and even within the action stuff when they're on the platform at the end there and the the xenomorph is on there. It, there's that bit where it goes for the crane and then it's inside the crane and, and she gets it and all, all of that sort of thing. And it's not even like a big action beat when it sort of falls from, it sort of falls out of frame to to, to frame right sort of thing and, and then it's sort of gone. And I thought, well, surely it should have been a bigger bang than that. And and even, I don't know, if, if they were trying to infer that the jaws of that crane were like another alien or something or the tongue or whatever and that's why it, it lunges for it and it goes for it and that sort of stuff. I, I just, I don't know, that, that stuff didn't seem clear to me, whether it was one thing or the other. You know, but but other other stuff I I, I did like. It, again, like I say, it was a it was a constant series of ups and downs, uh, not yeah. not just general shrugging shrugging of shoulders. You guys have something of a unique perspective with the films you work on, and something I'm pretty much always curious about is the perceptions you have while working on a film compared to how you would feel about the finished product. Do you ever find yourself, or in in the case of Alien, did you find yourself thinking it was going to come out one way and feeling completely different when you when you saw it all put together did you have a sense of what you thought the film was going to be and when you were working on it well for me i guess yeah. it was just that thing of oh where did the, all the mystery go in the build-up yes yeah okay. I, I kind of yeah i kind of i just tried to forget that it was ever going to be released i kept telling everyone before it came out i said right now it's schrodinger's cat it's the best film that was ever made uh right before release you know and i was happy to just believe that forever but you know after having seen it, I guess, yeah, I, I really did want, I just wanted a little bit more, like Matt said, it's a bit a bit more mystique. And so I, I was a little bummed that that was kind of not really there. I mean, overall, it was pretty similar to what I thought it was going to be, I guess. I don't recall being surprised. I thought, like, um, when I did Mad Max a few years ago, I thought that movie was never going to be released, let alone be a good movie. And so, man, I was so wrong about that. I loved the new Mad Max. I thought it was brilliant. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm actually working with a production designer right now. The same one. On what? On another Mad Max or on a different film? No, no. On another film. We're doing a, a film in China, a science fiction movie. <laughs> Can you talk about that one at all? Is that? Well, look. I mean, it's who knows what it's going to turn into. It's, it's still really early days, but it's kind of uh, to me, it kind of reminds me of a little bit of Edge of Tomorrow and a little bit of The Matrix, I guess. But that's all I could really say, I suppose. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, did you guys take home any souvenirs from your time on the set? Did you swipe any props or anything like that? Um, <laughs> of course we didn't. <laughs> Come on, we, we, all, we all know it happens. So I took home the drawing of the um, 
the the creature that appears on the, the cover of the book. Coincidentally, I had no idea that's what it was going to turn into. But I I took that. Other than that, not really. I didn't really get time to steal anything. <laughs> <laughs> By you, Matt, have you got any uh, anything sat in the cupboards? I got some of the drawings and stuff. Like yeah, because Rid- Ridley did say, "Oh, I want this and that and the other," and and we were we were hoping for a while there that oh, obviously he means you know the the one that was used on the set, of course, you know the printed one and that sort of thing. But you know, being an artist, he was all no, 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 no. Did I, I mean the original drawing too? And we're like. Ah! Yeah, couldn't get it past him. And then we'd hear through his assistant that don't forget that Wrigley wants this, that, and the other. You know, (laughs) he was all it. You're both fans of Alien Three, and I think you've got some interest in the production of the film. You know, and and the the older ideas of it. Yep. Mm. Something I picked up on was that there were some similarities between some of the unused ideas from Alien Three in Covenant. Did you did you ever pick on? pick up on that you know what and if you did what what did you think about that kind of thing um what kind of ideas personally i think that the neomorphs are essentially william gibson's new beasts he called them from oh, the, right. the very first script and i think in terms of of tone as well i think covenant is very alien 3 in that it's very mean and uh, bleak yes. at times there's also the, the the look of the alien, like that that more organic look, which mm. is, yeah. is you know quite like uh, the 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 dog alien or or the you know the bull alien, whatever you want to call it, the runner. Mm. And and they do run horizontally like that too, because I, I know everybody you know is going on about the CG CG. It all got replaced with CG, but um you know uh, and and while yes, a lot of stuff did, and and you know we, we loved. The creature guy stuff so much but uh it wasn't it wasn't like the thing prequel sequel where the same thing was replaced it, it you know that it went from being upright and walking upright like a man to running on all fours and like in the wheat fields faster than than a, a guy in a suit even on a harness or whatever possibly could so you know and yeah. and really does love building stuff and and having real stuff so you know it wasn't all, all the simple was the usual bar CG humbug, you know? But uh, yeah, that that was a bit uh, alien free to me. The the look and and style of that stuff. The the wheat field thing's another thing from one of the older Alien Three scripts. Oh as yeah. Well. yeah, that's right. Yeah 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 yeah, that's right. Yeah. I forgot about that. Which they ended up riffing on in um, Jurassic. Jurassic Park. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So I do actually have a couple of Alien Three related questions. See. So you know. We're, Steering away from Covenant at this point. <laughs> so, Matt, um, you shared a picture on Instagram of an Alien 3 cover you did for a, a, an old gaming magazine, is that right? Uh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's right, that's right. T- tell us about that job. I just started uh, doing covers for that magazine back in the day when, you know, everything was low res and you couldn't use a, a 3D grab or re-render or whatever for, for everything. So that was super cool. And obviously, you know, it's, it's a little more colourful and that sort of thing than a Giga piece. But, you know, I, I was so happy to be doing Look, I can't even remember what the actual game was, like which, which alien game it was. But, you know, I was just so, so happy to do an alien piece, you know. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I, I did covers for them all the time. Yeah, I presume it would have been for one of the Alien Three ports because they did a fuck ton of games when that was I coming guess. out. Mm. I still love that Mega Drive game, <laughs> the Alien Mega One. <laughs> I still have it plugged into my telly, my Mega Drive with that game in it. 
Oh, no way. Wow. Awesome, man. <laughs> Hardcore. Well, I found it in a bargain bin, the cartridge, and I didn't own a, a Mega Drive at the time, and I just picked it up and went and brought a Mega Drive eventually, and it's just that Sega Saturn with Alien Trilogy. Oh, yeah, yeah, Alien Trilogy. Hey. Constantly plugged yeah. into my TV. And there, there was one for, like, the Commodore 64 or something, though, that I remember, and it was super basic, but the mood was so great because, you know, you would, it was all about the sound design and, and that sort of thing, and then you shit yourself because the thing would be right on you and it was either Jonesy or it was the alien, but it scared you either way and stuff. <laughs> but, uh... Was that the Pac-Man one or was that the one where the, the robot, the AI, kept changing between the characters so you never knew who it was going to be? That sounds more familiar. I don't know. I have to go and look it up, but uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so as, as fans of Alien 3, how did you guys feel about the prospect of Blumkamp's Alien 3.2? Can I just say, man, uh, like Blomkamp has admitted that like, everyone's so bummed about it, but but I feel like that's such a short-sighted point of view. Like, you know, he's a more than capable filmmaker, but he himself has admitted that he's much more concerned with high-concept kind of um, world-building than he is about the stories, you know, which is fair enough. That's the kind of films that he likes to make. I like watching them, but I, I don't think that, I, I don't think that the loss of Alien 5 was going to really hurt the franchise, you know. At this point, it, so much stuff has happened to the stories that anything we get now, we're lucky to get. And the fact that, you know, whilst, you know, Covenant has its flaws, Ridley was the guy who originally did the first Alien. The fact that we got it, I mean, if anyone had the license to kind of play within the field or in that sandbox, it, it was him. Like, it was his right to do that. So, I don't know, man, I'm, I'm kind of happy. Like, I would have loved to have seen Hicks and stuff, but I love Aliens. I do absolutely love it, but I don't like the happy families at the end. And, and I understand that a lot of people are right into that, and I don't hold that against them. But for me personally, I'm so much more of a – like, I love The Shining. You know, I love – you know that French movie, Irreversible, where it's basically just like the twisting of the knife? <laughs> so, like, I, I like that kind of stuff. So, that's just me. I kind of feel the same way as you, actually. No, I I, I can never pick between any of the first three for a favourite. Yeah, I, I love them all the same, and I especially love the, the bleakness and how harsh Alien 3 is. So, I was always in two minds about Blumkamp's thing. On the one hand, I, I love his style, you know. I think he's like yeah. Rid Ridley a lot in the way that he's got a great eye, but he's not necessarily yeah. a storyteller, you know? Uh, a, 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 a physical scriptwriter, you know what I mean? Yep. So I kind of felt a bit of relief in that Alien 3 wasn't going to get stepped on. Yeah, same At the same time, it's disappointing that there might not be another Alien. So I know that there's, there'll be a lot of fans banging for our blood, you know, but uh, I don't know. That's just how I... <laughs> I think Alien 3's got a lot more yeah. appreciation over the last 10, 15 years than you might think. You know, um, I'm assuming mm. you've seen the assembly cut. Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. It just seems there's a whole change of attitude. I want to see it all. Like, I, I'm not yeah. somebody that believes in that whole thing of, well, you, you've ruined the originals. I, I think that's rubbish. You know, the, the original is still there. It, it's still what it was. It's just like the book that the film supposedly ruined is still there on the shelf. The words haven't changed, all of that sort of stuff. I understand that if you have a bad experience with the sequel or whatever, it's hard to get that out of your head when you go back and, and watch the earlier film. But for me, those those other films, they're, they're still as it was. So, I, I, you know, I, I like 
Neil Blomkamp. I, you know, I, even and and I love District Nine. I don't think his other films, you know, have have been fantastic. But but you know, I I, I do want to see how he tackles the alien world and that sort of stuff. Um, and and I, I really think the fans just. They're all baying for blood, as as you say, and there was so much hate around this movie that I, I would have been appalled by whether I ha- had anything to do it do with it or, or yeah. not. Because yeah. it seems to me that fanboys used to be defined by their love of, of a movie or a thing, and these days they're defined by their hate for it. And it's really easy to say something sucks. It's really easy mm. to say it's no good, and yeah. you're never wrong, you know. You can just say, oh, well, that's crap. It's much harder to put yourself on the line and defend something or say where you like something or whatever anyway so you know i i know the fans sort of there's so much controversy about it the whole thing about ridley and i think they really overstate ridley supposedly dictating to the studio and and that sort of stuff yeah this is the same studio that that put out you know uh yes sure ridley you can have final cut on Kingdom of Heaven. Yeah, absolutely. Go for your life. We'll release this the cut-down abortion of a film, uh, which is the theatrical release. And But no, they honoured him. He got final cut. It was the director's cut. And they showed yeah. that on two cinemas, I think it was, in LA for one week or, or whatever, some ridiculous thing that just, you know, it, they couldn't get sued because they, they'd supposedly fulfilled the contract and, and that sort of thing. But, you know, it, it, it's, yeah, sure, Ridley got his way if it suits them. But, you know, it's it's just not that simple sometimes. And I, yeah. I think people really overstate it. And mm-hmm. where this is concerned, yeah, I wouldn't mind seeing the thing the because I want to see more Neil Blomkamp stuff. The only thing I, I sort of don't like is the whole it's all a dream, sort of let's get rid of the other stuff. Like it, it's that's yeah. a pretty lazy premise for, for, for a movie. And, you know, considering... Again, getting back to the thematic stuff about Alien, it does all come back to Ripley. It all comes back to, you know, uh, your sense of self, motherhood, um, the other, the alien, uh, the, the sexual thing, all of that, and repeatedly coming back to, to the character of Ripley. So, you know, and, and I know everybody hated that the way, you know, Hicks and Newt were killed off and that sort of stuff. And it'll never be a perfect world because, as we all know, Alien 3 was doomed before it even began. And for me personally, there are things I love, but I find that both of the main versions, whether it's it's the bull... or or, or the dog. You know, the the second act for me is messy, and even in the other cut, just the, the, in terms of storytelling, if you capture that alien, and they do, even if it gets out again, it's neither here nor there, it will never have the threat that it did, because we already know you can capture it, and and, and that sort of stuff, so, you know, (laughs) there are pluses and minuses for both versions and all of that, but for me, I, I also love uh, Sigourney Weaver's performance. Uh, I've said this before, um, that I, I feel like, okay, I know she got nominated for Aliens and she was fantastic, but Alien 3 is, for me, her best performance of any of the movies. Uh, yeah. Anyway. Matt, do you think there's much room for Alien outside of Ripley then? I mean, obviously we get it with Prometheus, we get it with Covenant, but... Mm, that's a great question, yeah. It kind of disappoints me in that every Alien that we've had that doesn't have Ripley in it, in terms of the films, is always 
That's a bit of a letdown in some way or another. But Weave has also mm. been involved in the Alien films that are less than stellar. I mean, I love Alien 3, but I know it's a train wreck at times. Yeah. Resurrection's a parody of itself. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and see, I, I love uh, Genet. I, th- I think he's phenomenal. But uh, City of the Lost Children's brilliant. Amelie's brilliant. Yeah. I, that's one of my favourite films. Uh, Amelie was what made me forgive him for, for Alien 4, you know? Mm. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, it, it's just – and I, I was watching them all with my boy, you know, recently, and it, was like, it couldn't be more apparent after those other three. Yeah, just just all, all of the, the one-liner sort of testosterone bullshit, whether it's from her or the other characters and, and, and that sort of stuff. And, man, I, I – you know, I, I love some of Whedon's stuff, but I, I've got to find the damn article that he, the, the interview that he did, where he said, you know, no, I, I'm super happy with with Resurrection. They didn't change my stuff really, and blah blah blah. Like, you know, there seems to be revisionist history about about you know Whedon got screwed and things were changed and that sort of stuff. But man, I I got to find that damn article just to, just just you know for my own satisfaction. <laughs> I always find Resurrection interesting in, in that it's the complete opposite of Alien, in that it, with Alien you have all these talented people coming together and it's a true machine and they make this fantastic film. And with Resurrection you have awesome, talented people coming together and it's just a complete mess. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like but Assassin's Creed. There was some cool stuff in there. Like, uh, Did you guys read the Alien Labyrinth? Uh, yeah, I love that one. Matt, you're being the king of Segway you know, here that as well. Great. <laughs> My next question's uh, oh, no, non-film related. Okay. <laughs> so, next Go question on. is, uh, you know, yeah. how much of an interest do you guys take in in Alien outside of the films? I mean, are you interested in the comics or the games or stuff like that? Yeah, as a kid, I collected yeah. all of them. I had all I had all of the um, Alien comics. I had all of the Predator comics. In fact, when I was in year five, me and my friend Louis, um, we... <laughs> We fully, before I even knew that there was Alien vs. Predator comics, we were writing Alien vs. Predator stories. (laughs) (laughs) And I was drawing them and he was writing them with me and I was so proud of it. And then the day I discovered a comic shop, I was like, holy crap, man, they they fully are doing what we were talking about. And, you know, I spent maybe at least two years, no, maybe, maybe five years of my life just blowing heaps of cash on that stuff. And I don't know, I guess that's where, you know, Labyrinth was one of the better comics, actually. Some of them kind of sucked, but Labyrinth, I like. Top top three, I think, Labyrinth Mm -hmm. is. Yeah. Yeah. And and so much of Resurrection is is sort of that story. But Mm. there were just things for me in the film where it could have been great. Like the the lab where she discovers the previous clones or the failed ones and and that sort of thing. Yeah. thematically that comes down to the crux of, of what it is for me and and they completely fumbled it I thought yeah. but you know where okay we've we've already got the thing of, of Ripley being a clone is she human is she Ripley she's not the original but you know is is she still you know her at the core yeah. and and the I love the thing of, of well no she's part alien she she's mixed at that at this point after all these years does she even know where she ends and the alien begins it's all you know the, the metaphors are rich and everything it's, it's yeah. that's cool and everything and when it gets to the the lab that should all just she should cave in on herself there 
it, yeah. it all bring it home and, and that sort of thing. But man, at the end of that scene, uh, that character is no different than, than when she walked in there. And, and they yeah. cap that scene with, with a stupid joke, mm. you know? Yeah. Ah, it just, yeah, it makes me crazy because that could have been great, but yeah, yep. then we're off and firing guns again. And, you know, anyway, <laughs> but yeah, um, as for, for all the other stuff, yeah, uh, um, I get into it to a degree and I love, you know, I love the art. I, I, I love figures and sculpting and all of that sort of stuff. When it comes to the novels and the comics, I'm a bit off and on. And, and it's much like Star Wars, I feel, where a lot of it is reductive, where it doesn't yeah. open the world up. It, it closes it down and they mm. tick and cross things that we've heard before in whatever movie it is. So, you know, this alien and that planet name and let's join them all up and, and that sort of thing where, you know, some of it's fantastic and other stuff I think really hurts it. But, you know, so I'm a bit scatterbrained about that. I, I agree with you in regards to that. And it was one of the things that I was really scared about. There was that rumour about um, Shaw being related to Ripley. And it's that... Oh. Yeah, it's, it's that kind of... Which was a rumour and people believed instantly and the knives were out instantly, even though yeah. it was, what was it, Daily Mail or some rag or whatever. And there were a number of things like that. And everybody jumps on it like it's gospel. And uh, Ridley admitted that they did toy with the idea early on, but then fucked it off because they thought it sounded daft as well. Yeah, but yeah. Th that's the thing. That's that blue sky stuff. But then people, you know, read into it and, and you know, put words in their mouths and all of that. So, you know. It was so much fun, though, reading all that stuff while we're on the job. Like, <laughs> you know, it was like going through the, the looking glass, you know, because we would, we would be reading that stuff every day, you know. Matt and I are always on movie websites and, and like, reading about what's happening. And we would be on the, on the receiving end, like, looking at fans, that Because you know? Mm. Yeah, exactly. And then, but now we're sitting at the computer, we've read the script, we know everything, and we're watching the fans speculate. It was so much fun. <laughs> I appreciate that they're different mediums, but would you guys ever want to play in your own comics? Would you guys ever want to draw and illustrate the um, anything for, like, Dark Horse? Man, I, like, if Matt and I were together, if Matt wrote it, mm. um, because he's so passionate about, like, awesome drama, and then, I guess, if we both drew it, man, that would be sick. would kill it. <laughs> I, I almost did stuff for Dark Horse many years ago, but... Uh... Didn't didn't happen for, for a number of reasons. Uh, uh, I, I couldn't. I, I went over to Dark Horse one time, and that was super cool. And I saw like original Jeff Darrow stuff for Hard Boiled, and all of this yeah, it was, was was pretty great. But after that, I think you know came the Olympics and all all of that sort of gear. But anyway, uh, long story short, uh, there was another instance where Dark Horse in the 90s did this thing called Dark Horse Down Under and it was uh, like an anthology thing and uh, it was supposed to run for six issues. I think uh, I I was slated for, because as I said before, I, I had done, you know, comics like Aussie comics and that sort of thing. But yeah, so I, I think I was up for issue three or four, something like that, and it folded after two. So oh. <laughs> that, that didn't quite get there either, but uh, 
Almost, but yeah, you know, we we would love to do that stuff. I'll have to make sure folk are tweeting uh, Dark Horse, you know, telling them they want that kind of stuff. <laughs> and more Tristan no, and even covers and things like that would be so cool. Yeah. Well, that's actually everything from me. I do have just a couple <clears throat> of questions that the community wanted to ask you it's literally only two so we are nearly done i, I, I did loan, warn you be, it was a literal fuck done that's all right <laughs> <laughs> our pleasure uh, so protozoid uh, i imagine this one's going to be quite self-explanatory but protozoid would like to know why you think david did these drawings in the film you know was it an expression of his desire for creation like all of them or the shore drawings or no, everything why why was he why was he drawing why did he take to pen and paper well like I don't know, I don't know how well this kind of came through in the movie, but in the script it was pretty clear that he's, um, you know, he's the product of creation and he's on a crusade. Like he he is in some way such a huge admiration of creation, and he says it. I guess in the film he goes, "What do you believe in?" That's so yeah. He goes, "What do you believe in?" He goes, "I believe in creation." Mm-hmm. And I guess it's you know it's all about you know the the feats. I think artistry is some of the coolest things that humans get to do. Like it's, it's just something that's kind of, it's almost like it's not even evolutionary anymore. It's not even about survival. It's, it's another side. It's another facet of our soul, I guess. And I think that's where David's kind of coming into it. Like at least that's, that's my point of view on it, Matt. Yeah, I absolutely agree. It's the creation thing because he is a construct. He wants to prove that he's more than just some, uh, you know, clockwork thing. Uh, and because he's impotent, you know, he, he can't reproduce, he can't do that sort of thing. He wants to create in, in you know, it's an extended metaphor. Like, it, it's it's both overt and, you know, the subtext of it. So, yeah, creation on multiple levels. And artistically, he, he's also got the, the, the hubris of Wayland because that's his father figure. Uh, yeah. Even though he rejects him, he he still is the imitation of that, and you know he he's working in the classical style. He just he doesn't just consider himself a scientist or or, or, or a robot or, or whatever. He's creating. He he you know and and using you know art uh, as, as so, which is why you know I like the thing that to to make the lines blurry about. Maybe he's not just recording what he's done. Maybe we can't believe what he says what, that he's done or hasn't done. Maybe this is actual art, and it's horrific because he's imagining these atrocities. But it, it, the irony of it being a, an act of pure artistic creation, too, is is great to me. So, And he, he does love the, the, the aping the masters and, and, and that sort of stuff. So that's where the whole Rembrandt and... and leonardo thing comes in too so yeah it's the hubris as well that's what's so cool about it it's he is convinced he's the master artist like he's get he's he's way better than a god because the xenomorph is the perfect organism he he's convinced he's going to make this incredible thing and when it comes to creation he's the king of it you know so that kind of um he didn't start it but he'll he'll perfect it yeah, yeah, he's better than it. He's better than his creators. Like he even says it in Covenant, and you know that that is it's an exciting theme, man. I really like that, you know, and I think that's why the drawings were they're pertinent. Okay, well, thank you. And Dane, last one, one of our guys, uh, Evanus. 
Vanus, not sure how I pronounce that. Um, he would like to know if uh, Nathaniel Dean's character in Covenant, Hallett, was specifically named yep. after after you. No. Um, <laughs> so, so this is what happened, right? In the script, it's spelled H A double L E with one T. My last name is H A double L E double T. And um, when I, I don't know what it's listed as in the credits, but I know that when they released the marketing stuff, they definitely spelled it with two T's. But I went around to all the posters I could find everywhere. And I would just draw another T on the on all of the. <laughs> so when you like on, on films, there's always cast um, like there's always walls with all the cast on there. You know, they cast photographs, and yeah. I just went up to every single one and snuck another T in there just to try to get it happening. And, I didn't uh, even know that. Yeah, no, I'm yet to see. I forgot to pay attention to the credits. I don't know if it's changed on that yet. It might still only have one T, so I don't know if I succeeded. But no, it's just coincidence. It was there. Cheeky bastard. But I, I just remember the day, you know, we were reading through the script and I'm like, dude, there's a guy came named Hallett and, dude, you die. <laughs> yeah, man. It's good. Once again, sucks to be you. <laughs> Well, that, that's that's everything, guys. You know, uh, thank you for taking the time to to chat with me and uh, answer my nerdy questions. Uh, before we do, just disappear. Is there anything that you'd like to say that I haven't given you a, a question or an opportunity to put across? Um, one thing that I I have just relished so far is being able to thank the people that helped us out so much, and you know the fact that Victor Zolfo gave us the job and then believed in us. You know, um, Katie Sharrick yeah, was there really as well. We haven't talked about Victor much, but. Yeah, he was great. No, yeah, yeah, but he is definitely a huge, um, a huge part of it. Um, so yeah, there's heaps of people encouraging us and helping us along the way. So yeah, I don't know. I want to thank Victor at least, uh, and also Emma. Gracie. I was actually going to put a, po- a a picture of him on on, on the Insta Instagram account just oh, yeah. just before we got on here. So I I got to finish doing that. Oh uh, yeah, nice, nice. He'll love it. <laughs> he won an Oscar for working with David Fincher on Benjamin Button. All right. As a set decorator. Yeah, so um, it was cool because, you know, David Fincher did Alien 3, and so I tried to, you know, get some <laughs> secondhand information, but uh, I don't think David likes to talk about it that much, even to his friends. So. <laughs> no, you know, one thing that I do want to say thank you to is all of the positive, encouraging things that everyone said to me on Facebook and Instagram as well. I really appreciate it, and, uh, you know, it's very encouraging. Thank you so much. I'm so grateful to um, to hear from everyone. It's excellent. Thank you. And that goes double for me. As normal, I'd just like to thank everybody for uh, listening, everybody who comments um, on the podcast and has been sending us emails and messages and stuff, letting us know what you think, whether good or bad. You know, all, all feedback's good feedback. Don't forget to make sure you're following us on Facebook. On Facebook, we're Alien vs. Predator Galaxy. On Twitter, we're at AVP Galaxy. And Instagram, if you just like looking at pictures, is Alien vs. Predator Galaxy as well. And the homepage is, of course, avpgalaxy.net. So make sure you're keeping an eye out. Make sure you're checking us checking us out for the latest on Alien and Predator. And uh, Dane, Matt, before we go, you guys have your own social media um, pages and stuff like that as well, don't you? So if you just want to plug those, let everybody know where they can find your stuff online. Sure, man. I've been um, just releasing all my stuff on my artist page on Facebook. So that's um, Dane Hallett Artist Page on Facebook. 
I'm not used to Instagram. I got stuff on there. I mean, I'm still acclimatizing it. It's a little hard for me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just getting onto the socials too, so I'm just on Instagram, and it's just uh, Matt Hatton M A T H A T zero N. Okay, cool. And uh, I'll of course drop links to those um, profiles on the actual podcast post page, so um, you Thanks. can just you can just click Thank there. You. So yeah, that's it. You know, thanks again. And uh, cheers. Thank you. So this is uh, Aaron Percival, a.k.a. Corporal Hicks. This is Matt Hatton. This is Dane Hallett, last surviving member of the... Uh, last surviving crew member of the Nostromo, signing off. Mm.